ding. This is your captain speaking, a.k.a. Captain Death, the host of the Lots of Pasta podcast. I have a quick announcement to fucking make before we get into this episode here. I know this is random. I know this is out of nowhere, but so is my energy sometimes. And over this last weekend, I decided to make a Patreon account. I don't know why. I finally got over five and a half years of stubbornness and decided that, hey, maybe the podcast can be self-sustainable from this point forward and it would make making content a hell of a lot easier. Uh, I also made a coffee account for people who don't feel like signing up for a monthly subscription um, where you hand money to us repeatedly and maybe you just want to throw money at us one time, whatever. I don't care. I'll accept anything at this point. Consider me a prostitute. For your ear holes. Uh, There are five tiers of subscription services that you can sign up for on our Patreon. And they all have fun pasta-related names with fun little things that you get for each tier. The first tier, starting at $3, is just a basic support tier where you make sure that our content continues coming out. And it continues coming out the way it always has, which is ad and sponsor-free. And then the tiers do kind of increase with vocal shout-outs, actual credits on the YouTube videos, as well as being able to decide some of the stories that we get to read if you're on Patreon, and um, maybe even being vetted to come on an episode and talk with uh, me or talk with us, depending on who you want to talk to, um, or maybe even read a story with us. And, you know, there are some uh, things to read through over there if you want to check out Patreon and possibly become a subscriber for the Lots of Pasta podcast. And uh, without further ado, I am now at the tier three or higher thank you or spank you segment of today's episode, which I have two lucky guests who I would like to fucking spank on today's episode. And that is, of course, Kitty, returning subscriber, who is also on the show as reader Taurus Filth. And today's spank you is, why the fuck haven't you come back for another episode, you cunt? You know, I I record with you from across the fucking planet, and then you disappear. What the, f- what the fuck is up with that? You made my voice get all high. I don't like that. So you better fucking record with me again sometime soon, you bitch. Evan fucking Gravino who uh, I used reverse psychology on when I said don't sign up for the Patreon and definitely don't sign up for, like, the highest level possible. And he was probably drunk when he received that message from me. So he, of course, naturally went straight to level 5 on Patreon and became the highest available subscriber option. (laughs) Which, I, you know... Thank you. I will thank you. But also, I'm going to spank you a little because uh, I just saw you at D&D and you wanted to get away with some type of like evil machinations to like uh, control some ghosts and I don't know, fuck up everyone's day and be some bad guy or something. And I fucking shot you. (laughs) And now it's immortalized on the podcast. So you're going to have to fucking deal with that now. If you want to be a... Lots of Pasta Podcast 
Patreon subscriber, then you can find the link in our description of our videos or podcasts posted anywhere, whether it's iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, you name it, the link will be there. Um, or search us at Lots of Pasta on Coffee or Patreon. Thank you for listening, and now, on to the episode. I see dead people. Here's Johnny. Stop. We have such sights to show you. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Fuck you too! Let's do a quick count off to ten. I will start. Okay. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. Beautiful. Beautiful. Fuck yeah. All right. And we're in it again. Apartment Back. fuckery. <laughs> Apartment fuckery. Is that actually the name of the series now? It, it has to be. <laughs> it has to be. Apartment fuckery. I named fuckery. the series. The previous tenant of my new flat left a survival guide does not sum up what we've experienced thus far. It, it really doesn't, and though. It's, it barely scratches the surface, and I feel like the umbrella of apartment fuckery mm-hmm. is definitely closer. Right. Um, I'm probably going to need another adjective in there, though. Let's let's um, let's work on let's work on this together. Okay, I love um, adjectives. Um, spooky apartment fuckery. Spooky apartment um, fuckery. Apartment um, fucked <laughs> fucked apartment fuckery. Fucked apartment fuckery. fuckery. I do like I do like that. Um, because <laughs> so like because like my last series that that people would have listened to right before this one was called Lillian's Lillian's Dead Zone. Oh, that's fun. So I need I need a third I need a third word. A third word, okay. Which I think um, I, I think an adjective would work best, but I agree. Let me apartment think. fuckery. Um, unnecessary apartment fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love that. Un- under understated apartment fuckery. Under- no, wait, that's perfect because literally like this entire fucking thing is just full of like the understatements of understatement the Understatement of the year. This, like, I, I feel like we use that line like every 20 minutes. We'll be like, well, that was yet another ludicrously understated apartment fuckery. <laughs> I think that, I think we just got the title for the series. Oh my God. I'm so good at this. Understated apartment, apartment fuckery. fuckery. It 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 rolls off the tongue. It does, and you know what? It actually describes most of my apartment living experiences as well. Although mine we, were less ghostly. Unless I imagine anyone who's listening, anyone who's listening are. from, you know, from like New York, or a big city like Boston, perhaps. <laughs> might might also be feeling some some new age apartment fuckery <laughs> that know, may or I, may not be understated. I was about to say I almost feel like you're thinking of someone specific. <laughs> I'm thinking of a couple specific people actually. I was gonna say Brooklyn. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Because I have two two of our friends on the podcast live there. Poor bastards. But yeah, um I would say I would say understated apartment fuckery is perfect because It really is. For for three for for let's break it down. Understated already explained because almost everything that cat is experiencing is is so 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 quick and so awful and so bad for everything around her but she just perseveres and pushes through it Mm -hmm. and talks about it so logically that we're just like why is this bitch okay i mean she's not yeah she's definitely not and because she finally did because she puts it she, it's played symptoms. under the cuff. Right. It's very it's very hidden to the reader yeah. how how not good she is sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then apartment because this is taking place in an apartment building. This is a new couple moving into an apartment together. Poor bastards. And then fuckery to just vaguely general generalize all the shit that's happening. All the shit. The umbrella happening. of shit. Of the, shit. The Tupperware of shit. Tupperware. The 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 potpourri the, uh, the, of uh, fuckery. The diaper barge of bullshit that for, for never real. stops sailing around. We we <laughs> hit we hit more than halfway. Mm-hmm. Uh, last part, surprisingly, we, we, we finished did. like part one of this quote unquote series last episode. So coming Good into job. this one, we're actually hitting the next like rising action section of part mm-hmm. two, which leaves the last episode that we're going to record later, uh, kind of being the the climax and conclusion. Right. So, so for this one to, to kind of backtrack just this part too, because I don't think we need to go back all the way to the beginning. No. Um, just to backtrack this section, we finally met a new character that we liked, uh, a blind, enigmatic, uh, not ex- seer. eccentric, yeah, not seer. She didn't. She didn't want to be known as as some type of supernatural hoodoo lady. She, she said she had instincts. Right, and I liked that word too. I did you too. Know, someone who just had an edge on on reality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um we're left to assume that she sacrificed herself for Terry. I think so. Either Terry, Terry has or... Terry has two young kids that have monstrous kind of nightly experiences. They kind of they kind of transform into little demon kids, Mm -hmm. and they're really hard for Terry to take care of by herself. Yeah, so she relies on Cat probably a little bit. I really need to know where the fuck these kids' dad is. Like, I'm desperate. I I have to know. Like, what what where? What if it does turn out to be just like an Antichrist thing? Like, what Uh, it literally is just like a devil. At least they're very sweet for Antichrist twins. That's that's true. That's um, the thing that's killing me, though, is that it's is like that a really nice? funny subversion of like the demon child trope. It's like, oh, oh we no, had a really like, nice werewolf, you know, right, like, like 
right? Not everyone in this apartment is an asshole. We have really no, nice ghosts, exactly. you know? Some nice ghosts. But, like, that's that's the thing, though, that gets me about the kids specifically, is that normally when you've got, like, a demon child, there's, like, this kind of air of mystery. Like, oh, like, is this just a fucked up kid? Are they the Antichrist? Are they possessed? Is it a demon? And in this story, they're like, no, these kids are fucking demons. Like, they are demons. They have claws. They have black holes for eyes. Um, but they're they're just vibing. They're literally let's, just Let's kids. run through... I guess, I guess instead of going through story beats of everything to kind of summarize things real quick, let's go through the fuckery real quick. All right, let's go through the fuckery. Demon uh, children. Boy, boyfriend is dead to rat people who live Super in the elevator dead. shaft. Super dead, yeah. Um, to rat people who live in the elevator shaft who can only they eat just people ate at the specific blind woman times. Too. Yeah, they just ate the blind woman, too, without a doubt. Unless she's down there yeah, playing they have Xbox a curfew. with them. Mm-hmm. They do yeah. have a curfew. They have a curfew. And they're the, apparently not co- not super happy about it, but they're letting it go. There's only two of them left, apparently. But and they're, they're ultra and, strong because they absorb the power of the others. They're pissy as hell. Uh, neighbor upset. neighbor is a sexy bull wolf werewolf yes. monster at night. We're just kind of we're just kind of assuming he's sexy. Um I'm gonna continue to assume this. That's fine. Yep. Um, <laughs> we are well past the dawn of monster fucking. I actually just it's... listened, re-listened to that episode the other day. I've been re-listening to the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just passed, I think it's like 80, like four or something, which is the monster fucking where, where we start talking about shape of water. It's true. Um, God, that's such a, if God. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have, we have window washer who does um, wash the windows. He does but, do that. But wants to come in. Uh-huh, and get a, a and get a drink, um, drink but when we blood. when we've looked at him through the other eye, we've seen that he is a full on demon, which yep. I which I had uh, assumed might be the father of uh, Terry, Terry, yeah, Terry's, Terry's children kids. because they were described pretty similarly. Right. What are their names? Ellie and uh, Eddie. Fuck Eddie. Thank you. It was yeah, the I same were... name, basically. Yeah. yeah, I knew they did the weird twin thing. Why do people do that to twins? That it's feels easy. kind of unfair. It's easy. <sighs> Luke, Leia, you know, it's just it's just easy to do that. Yeah. Um, what else do we have going on? We did uh, have wandering ghosts, but they recently got uh, malevolent ghosts. I malevolent, mean, that would that would burn malevolent. people. They they did get put away, but I don't know if that's gonna stick or if that was just the story for part one. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it is gone. So listen to epi- listen to episodes one and two for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have other wandering ghosts, but they have jobs. They do. They're busy. Um, one was a gardener who, who I described as Michael Caine. Yeah. He, he left. I think he's he gone. He's um, gone. I'm also going to double down and say that there's nothing wrong with Ian. No, I think I Ian, think, I Ian think was Ian's just fine. doing his job. I, um, I honestly, he's a I ghost do. Postman, I think Ian's fine. I believe. Ghostman. 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 I regretted saying that the minute I said it, but I'm going to double down. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm into it. I, you know, I feel in my heart uh, that he's, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think he has bad vibes. I think that. I, I think, think Prudence gave just, him a bad name. Yeah. Prudence I, I gave think, him bad rep because Prudence said you can trust terrible. him and anyone who trusted Prudence is probably awful. Um, right. Because we met the the leader of the committee last chapter as well, which is Molly. She's a she's a bitch. Yep. And cunt. Um, yeah, cunt. And cunt. then uh, Prudence also giant cunt, but now she's dead. 
Yep, so not necessarily dead. relevant anymore. Is there anything nope. else supernatural that we're missing other than the um, blood stain in the in the bedroom? Oh, what about the guy who sits at the foot of the stairs? Oh, level five guy. Yeah, he's he hasn't level five done anything guy. yet. So he I don't think he be... will do anything. I, I think, think he's so just either. he's just flavor. Yeah. Much I, like I, how floor I think eleven it was has really bad lighting that makes dogs, people and, and old people. Dogs, children, and old people lose and old their people, shit. Yep. Yeah, crazy, right? But yeah, so I think I think that's everything. Rat oh, things. and big big plot oh. point right now is we have resurrected our dead boyfriend as a rat monster. As a rat monster. Which so she now knew there is a happen. third rat monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. she asked for it. But go she listen to parts happen. one and two to to realize why that happened. Right. She knew it would happen and she did it anyway. And I still have not forgiven her, but you know, maybe I will in this. Maybe this part is the part that will (laughs) allow me to find forgiveness in my heart. Doubt it. Doubt it. (laughs) I'm trying to think if we're missing anything else. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that's all of the, the fuckery for now. Most people have like lost their friends and family to the, to the, to the rat people in the lift. So that's usually what it comes down to. Wait, wait, wait. Um, do we know if the burning cats are gone now? No, the burning cats have always been around. No, no. They showed up after the, uh, the, the fire. Yeah. But remember when I actually, they haven't mentioned them since. Yeah. So I, I hope they're still around. I I hope they're still around too, because they're supposed to be like, they're supposed to, I interpreted them as like the metaphysical souls of the actual people who lived in those flats. Right. Not the cult that burned down the flats. Right, exactly. But just like the kind of peaceful leftover fragments. Right. Um, you're right. Uh, what, what was his name? The gardener? Derek. Was it Eric? Derek with a D. Derek. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time we physically saw a cat was when Derek and the and OP were petting one while having a conversation about mm-hmm. how to take on uh, the cultists, the cultists, the burnt cultists. But uh, I, they haven't been mentioned since. So maybe you're right. Maybe they maybe once the burnt cultists were done, maybe the cats were able to move on to the next, Aww. you know plane of existence who, who knows haven't haven't knows? seen them would wouldn't be surprised if they're still hanging out i hope they are honestly because they were cute and they were not uh, like they were one of the few things in the building that isn't like malevolent you know they're just i mean kind it of hurts yeah they they hurt to touch it hurts. But like a lot of cats do yeah. one of them put one of them put a hole in my foot this morning and my cats aren't on fire they just <laughs> Uh, when we're looking at part 10, the title is when one door closes, another opens. Um, that's probably literal in this case because, uh, Essie, the blind lady is dead. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to keep the story going, we might need to meet her son. Ooh, good point. Maybe. Maybe. Or, or we'll just meet some other crazy character who lives in this building. 
honestly, who even knows? At this point, I don't even know what's like, like I honestly. Zero like, expectations. Yeah, I, I'm losing the ability, I think, to predict like what will happen here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'm I'm enjoying it. Nonetheless, oh, yeah, no, this not, this not been, mad about it. This has proven to be a very competent series. So Without a doubt. Very excited. Um, is there anything you want to say before we jump in? Um, Kat, you had better fucking redeem yourself because you're my favorite main character yet, and I am so angry at you. She was so doing angry. such a good job of she making was doing all the right decisions. Such a good job. Until such a good she job. wished her dead boyfriend back as a rat monster. As and, a rat monster. And, like, it's kind of a hard one to get over. It's it's hard because she It's a hard knew. mistake to get over. Right. It's she like, knew. She, she yeah. saw it physically with her eyes and was like, this will somehow be different. And I know grief makes you do stupid, dumb, terrible things, but that was a very stupid, dumb, terrible thing. Yeah. But, but you when know, one like door said, closes, another opens, Cannibal as Siren. They, as who, they I, say. who I did forget to introduce again. It's because me. we've been talking for two hours already. Yeah, um, we get a little too we get a little too excited, I think, and then get caught <laughs> up in <laughs> every time. But I time. I love that. Me too. About you and for us and for me. Me too, bestie. I'm, this is what happens I'm when you get a selfish. Libra and a Leo in a room together. <laughs> I'm a selfish fuck. And <laughs> would I record our entire conversations? Yes. If I knew people were going to listen to it and enjoy it. But <laughs> it's not it's not relevant yet. I'm still no. going back and forth on the idea of possibly recording our online campaign, but I, I don't I don't want it to turn into more work. Right. I feel you. I kind Maybe of just I, want it to exist. That's exactly what I went through. I'm running a Monsters and Moms campaign right now um, using Monster of the Week for our listeners. And I did think about recording it, but then I was kind of like, yeah, but it'll just take so long to set up. And like some of my players just like they're fantastic players and they're amazing actors but I know them and I know that when a microphone is introduced, they will, they'll get uncomfortable and it will right. affect the performance. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just that they're like so perfect. I just can't interfere with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm everyone who's going to be in our online campaign is already on the podcast. So I'm, I'm fighting this internal Mm -hmm. notion to just have a background thing mm -hmm. recording everyone right and just yeah, kind of dealing with the consequences later it's right. not something i would post here mm -hmm. i i don't think i don't think it's a lots of pasta thing but right. it might be something i can put on the youtube for people who are interested in seeing how how in D, D campaign is done that's but, a great idea but it it wouldn't be as worked through as maybe the cabin in the woods thing was, mm -hmm. which, which has already kind of scratched that itch for me. So, right. you know, we'll see. But, you um, know. but until then we got some apartment fuckery to deal with. We do some understated apartment fuckery. If you will, <laughs> the death of miss Esther Beckman hit me hard. Another fucking understatement. Literally. She would have lambasted me for writing her name that way, but I feel like it's important that people remember it in its entirety. Essie was special. She deserves that much. I didn't oh. get to spend long with her, but I was grateful that I'd met her at all. 
The committee's initiative to shop for vulnerable residents during lockdown had been dis devised to benefit those residents, but I believe that I needed Essie more than she ever needed me. She'd become my lifeline in that short time, the only distraction from my atrocious misjudgments. And she was yes. gone. When I got off the phone with Terry, I lit up a cigarette for Essie. I quietly sobbed at my fold-up table into my cup of tea. I couldn't understand why she would do what she did. Walking into the lift between 1.11 and 3.33 a.m., as the creatures who inhabited it were at the height of their frenzy, was an unmistakable suicide. Holy oh. shit, I just had a really cool thought. What, what if... The reason the creatures inhabit the elevator at 111 and 333 is because the creatures are people that live in the apartment building. See, I, I do wonder that. And maybe I someone also, puts them in there. Right. I also, though, remember them. Derek, um, the way that he talked about Lila um, after he killed her. His note said, um, what did it say? It said, don't worry about, like, the other two getting stronger. She never belonged to them. So that... They me... also said something earlier on when the conflict between the rat people and the flaming cult came up that yeah. the rat people had existed long before the apartment building did. So, right. so maybe not. Maybe it also said a... that they kind of like moved in though, like they, they like, yeah, they... like like they existed before the apartment building did, but mm -hmm. they found the apartment building as a place to live, right? And then like were and they were attracted to the apartment building for, because uh... of its supernatural energy. I imagine exactly, exactly. I felt the pang of loss. It in turn ignited an emotional muscle memory, and I was put back in the place I had been in all those months ago. I felt very emotion. I felt the very every emotion I had felt when I stepped into the lift and repeated the ritual. Mm -hmm. When I sentenced Jamie to a life spent as one of those things, Essie was the first to perish in the lift since the creature ripped Jamie apart on the night we moved in. The whole block is aware of the dangers, which ironically made the risk pretty low. Prudence Hemming's negligence had led to my tragedy with Jamie, but there was nothing to explain what had happened to my new friend. I had only known her for a short time, but she really was full of life. She spoke about missing her son and her grandson and how we would get to have a cup of tea together that I didn't have to drink in the corridor one day. She had plans. I didn't believe that she wanted to die. Yeah. Her last words of advice to me rang through my head, which is something we tried to decipher last session. Yes. One of your friends needs help. You need to know that it is possible. I'm still lost by that. I know. Like, it's just, I, it's I, too fucking mysterious. Right, and I mean, the fact that she walked into the elevator does make me think that she is talking about Jamie. But... I don't know why she would refer to him as, as a friend. friend. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Exactly. But like she went into the elevator. So I'm kind of like, and oh, wait, wait, wait. The episode also says one door closes, another opens. So maybe when she went into the elevator, maybe she's, I mean, this could be just desperation. Don't get me wrong. Cause Essie is my favorite, but it could be that she's found something else in the elevator. Some kind of other door that Loophole. doesn't lead. Right. Like a fucking, she said it, you would need to know that it is possible. So it sounds like maybe There are she... never remains of people when they enter the lift. The idea exactly. is that they get ripped apart and entirely consumed. So right. it's not like we would know. Exactly. Exactly. 
What if what if she had been talking about herself and she just didn't realize? Mm -hmm. I wondered if I'd already failed her. Maybe that wasn't about Jamie at all. Ideas snowballed in my mind for what felt like hours, so I sat at a table. My thoughts were eventually interrupted by a knock on the door, and it was Terry and the kids. I opened, and they stood back a safe distance. I'm sorry, Kat. I, I, I know you probably want to be alone, but the kids knew you'd be sad about Miss Beckman, and they wanted to come and see you. I've, I've already dropped some bits off to Mr. Prentice and the couple next door, so you don't have to worry about that today. Aww. Terry was sweet. She's been nothing but nice to me from the start, and I love her kids like my own flesh and blood. She was wrong about me wanting to be alone. Just seeing the twins' faces lifted my spirits. Here's an air hug, cat. <laughs> Eddie made a cuddling Aww. motion with his arms, gripping the thin air of the corridor. It was adorable. One of the hairless cats, there you go, okay, that walks back. the halls, played at his feet, being careful not to brush against him so as not to burn his young skin. Aww. Even the cats are considerate. Uh, you read for oh, cat. My, my bad. Air hugs back. I, I answered. I miss you guys. We miss you too. Mum says she can't wait until you can babysit us again. Don't be I sad. Said. Ellie added, melting my little heart. They, they were growing into such kind and amazing people. You would struggle to believe that they looked like demons all night long and never slept. I could see that Terry was struggling. She had huge dark circles under her eyes and had yawned multiple times in a short interaction. I, same. I felt for her as much as I love those kids. The lack of sleep when I do sit for them is killer. I couldn't imagine having gone as long as we'd locked down ex on existence stolen hours and there like Terry does. I can't either. Wait either. We're gonna have so much. I couldn't finish my sentence as my attention was grabbed by an almighty scraping sound coming from inside my flat. Are you okay? Terry stated, noticing my sudden silence and change of expression. I'm fine. I answered bluntly. I wasn't. <laughs> the, the noise became more frantic in the background. Jamie. What's that noise, cat? Eddie asked with a childlike innocence. I didn't want to lie to him, but I had no intention of telling the truth. There was a reason I only babysit in Terry's flat. I couldn't bear for the kids to be at risk or think of me as a monster. The scraping and scratching I oh sorry I, I was yawning <laughs> the I, I, I was like wait something's missing here <laughs> the scraping and scratching slowly started to become bangs and crashes I have to go thank you for coming to see me you've made my day guys you have no idea I'll see you soon I promise <laughs> and with that I shut the door and bolted the latch I felt awful I never wanted to be rude they treated me as family but after dragging them through so much when we first met I didn't want to subject them to him they didn't deserve to suffer my mistakes i ran to the padlocked wardrobe and froze start staring at it for a few minutes i watched as the central line where the two doors met expanded and contract with every pound from inside Oof. as if the doors were breathing he had started to wheeze and grunt uncontrollably in all these months i hadn't seen behavior like that i was genuinely fearful that if i opened the door he would rip me apart limb from limb how the God fuck did it. my life come to that hiding from my undead semi-rodent boyfriend I'd say 75% rodent. Yeah. I sat down in front of the breathing doors and my back to them in an attempt to keep him in, and I cried. I felt like that's all I've been, I've been doing. 
crying. The fighting spirit had been knocked out of me. I'd been reduced to a sniveling mess. The pounding on the door didn't stop, and as time passed, he didn't calm down. He just became more desperate and frenzied. I wondered if this was how the ones in the lift had behaved before they tore him to pieces, or as Essie waltzed into their territory. Maybe he was only behaving this way because the others had finally gotten a victim. My phone went multiple times. It was Terry. I threw the still-ringing phone across the floor and held my head in my hands. Thump, grunt, buzz. It became a pattern. The pounding against the back of my head, the phone ringing, all the noises around me started to become more formulaic and repetitive. I wanted it to stop so bad. I don't need this right now, Jamie. I begged, frustrated. I didn't expect a reply. I'd spoken to him often, trying with everything I could to think of to dig out the man I knew, with increasing futility. Regardless, I found it therapeutic to talk. Not once had I gotten a reply. Until then. Oh boy. <laughs> he rasped in something that I can't really describe as a proper voice. The pounding had stopped. Only the raspy breaths and sounds of saliva dripping from his mouth remained. God, he wheezed finally, as if in pain. The tears stopped. I jumped up immediately and fumbled with the keys to the padlock to open his prison. As it opened, he stared at me, Jamie's eyes looking sad and desperate. I stared back, wiping the tears from my face, and for a brief interlude, it wasn't the creature looking back at me. It really was Jamie. It hurt. For just a moment. I was truly alone with my soulmate, but it didn't last. It couldn't. His eyes turned from the familiar blue tone to black. It made him look more rodent-like. The lack of a distinguishable iris made them beady, just like a rat. I stood still, watching uncomfortably as he stood on his hind legs, stretching out from his usual hunched positioning. I noted the sharp teeth tucked under his deformed and fleshy nose. It was one of the few patches with no fur. In the blink of an eye, he launched himself forward, clawing at my face. I was taken off guard and flew backwards as he made contact. He hesitated on top of me, my face inches from his grotesque snout for a moment, baring his teeth with a lust in those black eyes, spittle dripping onto my face from the tips of his sharpened fangs. He didn't seem so small anymore. It gave me just enough time to roll the fire poker I'd kept up against the wardrobe towards me. Weaponizing the entire flat was a rule of prudences that, unlike others, had actually proved useful. I gripped it with my right hand as I felt his claws start to penetrate my chest, sending a searing pain through my body. I plunged the poker into the side of Rat Jamie's neck, watching as deep crimson blood splattered across the room and the doors to the wardrobe as I started to hyperventilate. He rolled off me in a heavy slump. Had I killed him, I thought? Was my nightmare finally over? I agonized over the fact that I had been, I had the bottle to put him out of his misery, but had been able to follow through when he attacked me. I felt like such a selfish person. Despite this, I was relieved, looking at the blood and the unmoving fur heap on the floor next to me. My hand shook violently, alerting me that I was still holding the poker. I dropped it instantly with a loud clank and took a moment to breathe. My relief was short-lived. The furry patch heap on the floor started to slowly rise and sink rhythmically. He was breathing. 
Blood stopped pouring from the wound, and he lethargically raised a claw hand to wipe at the area like an animal would. I took no chances and dragged him back into the cupboard before he regains his strength. I, I know what you're all thinking, and I assure you it crossed my mind, too. Just keep going. Keep stabbing until he doesn't wake up. It's a reasonable thought process. I wish it were that simple. But nothing in this building is. If he got up from this attack, stabbing wasn't the answer. He should have been dead. Three times over the amount of blood loss. Even if I wanted him dead at this stage, I had no idea how. It fucked me up. Trying to make connections between his sudden ability to communicate, the attack, and Essie's prediction. I didn't even know where to start. I placed a bowl of cat food next to the weary creature, locked the cupboard, and placed the second unnecessary chain from my old fold-out table against the center of the two doors. I was at a total loss, and things were spiraling out of control. Another I understatement. <laughs> I, I, ugh. It was out of control the minute that you summoned his soul into a rat thing. Like, I'm still going back and forth with the size of this thing and the fact that I'm now learning that it's completely covered in fur. See, I just kind of thought it was just, like, a person with, like, like, maybe shrunk a little, but with, like, big, big teeth, a kind of snoutish stretching of says, the face. It says that they have, like, multiple rows of teeth, too, like a fucking shark. So I was like, I was thinking, see, I, I didn't realize it was covered in fur. I thought it was kind of like a rabid sort of like zombie rat kind of situation. Sure. You know, with like kind of random patches here and there. But the more they talk about it, the more it just sounds like a giant fucking rat with teeth. Right. Right. Which, which I would, would I, which I would feel <laughs> close to zero emotion to. And I've, I've owned rats. Yeah. I had gerbils and I just... I I had an apartment that was infested with rats. Um, I didn't love it. <laughs> I mean, rats as an infestation are one thing. Rats as pets are another. Yeah, oh no. Rats as pets are adorable. They're great. They do tricks. They're oh, soft. Yeah. They're mine friends. Were, mine were very cute. Rats that are infesting uh, my backyard, uh, they work with the roaches to make my life miserable. And yeah. the thought of yeah. one of those things being the size of, like, a golden retriever, um, not, not don't, great. don't not great. love it. No, I, I don't love it. I sat on the now singular chair in my living room and smoked. I smoked and I drank tea. I think it must have been some kind of ingrained British coping mechanism I've adopted, because whilst it didn't cure my anxiety, it did calm me down. I texted Terry to tell her everything was fine. I tried to type out the truth multiple times, but I deleted every single attempt. I didn't know how to tell her that I'd lied to her for all this time, so I carried on lying. She had always told me she was there if I needed to talk. I know she meant it. She was the most loyal friend I've ever had, which is why disappointing her was even more terrifying. And, and also upsetting that uh, Kat put her closest real-life friend into the hospital and has always forgotten about her. Yep. <laughs> I guess that she just figures she can't ever see her again after that. So yeah. hopefully she just doesn't remember because of the pain <laughs> or whatever. Uh, which is more disappointing, which is why disappointing her was even more terrifying. After a few hours, the screaming started. The inhuman earth shattering screaming with intervals of low growls. Jamie had come to. 
The noises rivaled Mr. Prentice's, and I wondered if the neighbors would be concerned. But in a block like mine, late night screaming and growling is the norm. Jamie could be eating me alive, and no one might think to check. And even if they did, there's not so much they could do to help. I visualized Percy and Sylvia turning up their television to drown out my screams. Man. <laughs> it wasn't screams of pain, it was anger. A battle cry. The attack he'd subjected me to was just a warning. I could feel the disdain coming through the thin wooden barrier separating us. If his behavior continued, I was going to be dead for sure. About 11pm, I couldn't take it anymore and decided I was going to take my government-approved exercise and get the fuck out of my four walls. The halls were alive. The more peaceful of our not-so-average residents had utilized the quiet time to enjoy their home. The cats frolicked, wrestling and chasing each other up and down the stairs. I wondered if they skipped for them, too, or if they had ever escaped each other by ending up on different floors. And as I descended, the man on floor five was as stoic as ever. I smiled. He had become somewhat a favorite of mine. Passing <laughs> him on the stairs has always meant that home was nearby. Hi, Clive. Did you say, did you say hi, Clive? I did. I said hi, Clive. Okay, I didn't. I didn't hear. I'm sorry. I waved at him as I passed by. I gave him a different name every time and hoped that one day I would get it right. He didn't respond. <laughs> didn't even look. But then again, he never did. I added Clive to my catalog of not names. The boy who lived in the mirror that runs adjacent to the stairs waved. <laughs> That's a oh, new one. That is a His new hair one. was tousled and messy, and he wore a stained green striped t-shirt. He pulled faces and blew raspberries frantically at me in my reflection. I blew them back, pushing up the center of my nose to resemble a pig, which was met with silent, roaring laughter. The I stairs like the were poorly. Like, yeah, I like I like kids in mirrors. That's fine. The like stairs. Like nice kids in mirrors. Like he just wants to make <laughs> no, terrifying you. kids in mirrors. <laughs> the stairs were poorly lit at night, but I still managed to count every landing I reached. Nine flights this time. Not so bad, I thought. Grateful it wasn't any worse. When I reached the bottom, I felt a release, like everything bad about my life was locked away in the flat, and I was free. That makes me think Jamie's gonna get free. <laughs> Uh, it was chilly outside. I'd worn a thin cardigan, but I could still feel it in the air. I made a beeline for the bench by the postage stamp of the garden next to the block. It was strange to see the city so empty. Usually outside the tower was brimming with activity, but the threat of the virus had left it desolate. As I sat in the cool air, I tried to clear my mind. A good friend once told me that being in nature helps our brain to release serotonin, and it's true. The soil will literally make you happier. I tried to embrace the serenity of nature, but it was soon infiltrated by a series of tiny mewing coming from the foliage I had planted against the outer wall of the block. I fumbled in my pockets for my phone and played around with it until the torch turned on. I approached the greenery with caution, not wanting to spook a cat if it were injured in there. The fallen bits of foliage crunched underneath my feet as I got closer to the small shrub, but the mewing didn't stop. After a gentle search, I realized that the sound was coming from three tiny kittens. They were so small, with wrinkled, furless skin. They weren't newborn, their eyes were open, and they were relatively alert. They were for certain offspring of the cats that had wandered the halls. I was baffled. I had no idea they could reproduce. As the largest of the three rubbed its head against my hand, I, could, I felt my fingers singe a little. I sat with the kittens for ages. They took the opportunity to sit in my lap pretty quickly, and I waited for their mother to return. I grew increasingly worried, and the three little naked kittens seemed to get cold. 
I set them down on the bench, wrapped in my cardigan, and started to call for the mother, shivering myself. After about 20 minutes passed and nothing appeared, I wrapped the bundle up a little snugglier for extra warmth and started to search the bushes. They were part of a planted bed that stretched a third of the length of the tower block. I kept an eye on the bench and moved forward along the foliage. I looked hard until I eventually found something. A fair-sized ventilation grate was hidden behind one of the shrubs. I hadn't remembered it being there when I first planted it. Poking through the metal bars was a vine of some sort that seemed to be growing upwards through it from inside, making it impossible to see. The grate led to what must have been a basement. A basement that the block didn't have. I squinted hard trying to make out the inside of the room, but I couldn't see anything, and after a few seconds I noticed that the vine was visibly growing around my feet, twisting over my shoes. It freaked me out. Is that you? <laughs> I dropped my phone and started to wriggle and my feet free when I heard an almighty yowl coming from inside the grate. It was the kind you heard when cats were fighting outside your window. I fell backwards and was tripped by the vine but broke the piece that was holding on to me as I kicked it. The shrub I had moved aside covering up the grate again and the yowling suddenly stopped. I ripped the piece of vine off my foot and grabbed my phone with the other hand. The torch was still becoming in, was still beaming in the night sky. I tried to dig back through the bushes, but the grate was gone, and so was the rest of the vine. I put the oh. piece that snapped off in my pocket and returned to the bench. The yowling gave me a bad feeling about the kitten's mother, so I scooped them up and carried them back inside with me. They gently mewed the entire way. I was frozen and covered in goosebumps. It was approaching the time of night where the lift becomes dangerous, and I wanted to make sure the kittens were okay. So I didn't investigate the downstairs when I entered. I rushed up the stairs only five flights this time, and unlocked the door to my flat. The screaming had stopped and had been replaced by a loud, raspy snoring. Jamie had finally tired himself out. I set the kittens in the heap on the sofa and found a few cushions and a blanket for them to curl up on. I would go and get food first thing in the morning. They were adorable, cuddled up in a tiny heap. I sat at the fold-out table and stared at the piece of vine. It wasn't growing anymore, but it was healthy. I wondered mm -hmm. how it survived in a basement and how it had been able to grow at such an exponential rate. How had I lived somewhere for almost a year and not realized it had a basement? I placed the vine in a cup of water and started to stress about my inability to find the grate a second time. My walk to clear my head had just brought up more questions. I couldn't make any sense of it. Essie's death, Jamie's sudden behavior change, the kittens, the basement, that vine. I had no idea what any of it meant, but I knew I had to find out. I didn't want to sleep anywhere near Jamie, so I curled up on the sofa next to the kittens and put Netflix on in the background. I drifted off to thoughts of the secret basement and what the fuck might be down there. Mm-hmm. God damn. Okay. Interesting. One door closes. Uh, I'm gonna say some rat people living down there, and That's maybe also they also my guess. Maybe they don't go outside because they're fucking rat people. Like, where are they? Get like my that was my question back. Like, I don't know. Maybe even in part one. Like, okay, so they're only in the lift between the hours of one eleven and three thirty three in the morning. So where the fuck are they for the for rest the rest of the, of the day? Yeah. 
And the building allegedly closes off things that it doesn't want people to be near, right? Like, it, floor nine's just gone. Forever. So it sounds like maybe it's doing the same thing with the basement. Like, it's not, like, it's not letting people go down there because it knows it's dangerous. Oh, 100%. 100%. If, if we've been in the lift and the lift has the ability to just completely erase certain levels, then there's a reason we haven't been to the basement. There's a reason the stairs don't go down to the basement. Right, exactly. You know? I feel like, okay, so I think that Derek's disappearance, like, maybe that's just a throwaway to, like, get rid of him and make it so that she doesn't have any help for this story. But I just, like, I don't know. I feel... My, I feel like he is involved somehow with this, particularly because of the vine. Particularly I, like, because because of the greenery. Yeah, the growing, like the rapidly growing greenery, like out of nowhere, a basement that didn't exist, like, and he can access floors that don't exist, and he's the only person who can. So I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm feeling like he has to be connected somehow. I just don't know how. It's interesting to think about, and I don't know if, I feel like, here. here's what I can predict, right? Mm-hmm. I think Jamie's going to get out. Yep. And I think Jamie's going to be called to the basement. Yep. And I think we're so. going to be drawn to the basement. Yep. I don't necessarily think Derek has anything to do with the basement. I do think Derek is gone. Gone, I, gone. I, I do. Um, I think Prudence was kind of his last straw, and she kind of ruined him and Mm -hmm. when he killed Lila he was just like I'm done you know I'm done being the guardian angel of this situation I've finally corrected most of what I personally did wrong well he did he corrected he corrected what he did do wrong the rat the rats being there were not the rat people being there were never like directly his fault if anything he curved he curved that one a little bit yeah so I, Although, I think I think that that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. I also just think like I don't know. I I just it's like the greenery and the missing floor is like it's pushing me towards something. But I also I'm like trying to connect Jamie's behavior, these new kittens, which is weird, um, the basement that doesn't exist, this rapidly growing greenery, Essie's suicide after her instinct slash prediction. Yeah, that's another one I'm still stuck on. going on. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, and I'm not sure where it's going. I'm not going to lie. Usually I've got some kind of idea, but I'm pretty... Part Part 11's title also makes me think that we're in for a couple twists. Yep. Part 11. Can you ever really know someone? someone. (laughs) Yeah. Can you? Apparently not, Catherine. I thought I knew you, and then you summoned your rap boyfriend. (laughs) I woke up in the morning after my discovery of the kittens with them crawling all over me. I guessed that they were a little younger than eight weeks old. They were strong and independent, pouncing on my chest with their sizzling paws to wake me up. That must have sucked. <laughs> I've had, like, my my house, my, my family home was like a breeding ground for cats, which is actually how I acquired two of my three uh, shittens that live with me. Nice. Um, and so I have I have raised more kittens than... God, like, I think I must have raised minimum 20 kittens, probably more. Um, because cat clinics in the South don't like to do abortions. Get mm. that? Get this. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, uterus, uterus having people. Cats also don't have rights in the South. Um, very, very good. 
but I just like being awoken by kittens is painful when they don't have burning you alive powers. So yeah, sounds miserable. Perspective. They were well looked after and made it harder to believe that their mother had just abandoned them. They rarely do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cats don't abandon their uh, kittens unless they are under like extreme duress. Like usually something's very, very, very wrong. Right. I thought I knew the block. My entrance had been dramatic enough to introduce me to what I thought was the majority of strange going-ons in the place. I walked the halls with a naive confidence that the building wouldn't be able to surprise me anymore. I thought I was prepared for anything. The events of the night before had squashed that confidence. I knew that the building had sealed off floor 9 after the fire, but I never considered the possibility of other hidden floors or flats. There you go. Every other floor from the ground up was accounted for and there were no stairs leading downwards. I hadn't set foot inside the lift since Derek had taken me in there and I couldn't remember an LG or a minus one button from when he had. I had never known the cats to reproduce either. By all rights, they're all strays and even if they had been working the place, would be overrun with kittens. The cute little bundles on my sofa should not have existed. Jamie was growling still, making low and disturbing noises. Luckily, the screaming had stopped. I nervously unlocked the wardrobe and placed a bowl of cat food in there as quickly as I could before locking it again. The wounds in my chest throbbed as I looked at him and let go of the bowl. Jamie had scratched and bitten a handful of times, but usually by mistake, and he had never hurt me badly. It only made doing something about him much harder. His attack the day before had been different, though. Intentional. And as I dropped his food in the morning, he nipped hard at my finger, drawing blood. I sighed with relief as I secured the padlock and shuddered as I listened to him slurp and crunch on the food. I noticed the bloodstains from his attack splattered up the wardrobe door and shoved the square chair back over the gap to make sure the door was shut and keep the kittens safe. My own body be damned, I guess. Walking back to the kitchen to make tea, I noticed the vine in the cup of water on my fold-out table. It had grown way more than any plant should have in a matter of hours. It stretched out of the cup and down the table, producing large, healthy-looking leaves. I had no idea what it meant, if it meant anything at all. If it had come from a room with no sunlight, then, like the kittens, it shouldn't have existed. Miss Esther Beckman's words echoed in my mind. If you look hard enough, you will find a way. You will find a way, a way, way, way. Maybe the friend I had been supposed to help was the kitten's mother? What if she was stuck in the basement and I just needed to find a way in? I didn't have time to think too deeply about it. Terry had run my errands the day before, but I couldn't expect her to do it daily. Percy and Sylvia wouldn't need anything until the weekend now, but Mr. Prentice would struggle without my help. I had to carry on. So I got dressed, placed a bowl of water down for the kittens, promised I'd bring back proper food, and made my way down the hall to flat 48. I knocked and stood back to give him time to answer. Morning, Mr. Prentice. I tried my best to smile and be chirpy, putting the whirlwind of thoughts I had to the back of my mind. Morning, cat. I'm sorry to hear about Essie. Terry told me yesterday. She was one of the longest-serving residents here, you know, along with myself and Molly. A terrible loss. He hung his head as he gripped his walking stick. She was a great person. I'm sorry I didn't get to know her for longer. I answered, feeling the fake smile I'd plastered across my face collapse. She helped me out of a few scrapes. Essie had an extraordinary gift. Never once gave bad advice that I know of. 
She was a great drinking buddy, too, back in the day. Oh, fuck, yeah. What a great mental image. Mr. Prentice <laughs> chuckled at his memories, but stood tr looked truly saddened by the situation. It was the most I'd ever heard him speak in one go, and his mention of how long they'd lived here made me think. Mr. Prentice, do you know if this place has a basement? I asked. He pondered my question for a while. Well, I've never seen one, but that's not to say it doesn't exist. He smiled a little, and I could see he had noticed the despair in my eyes, and his smile was comforting. I struggled to find the words to respond, so he changed the subject. Could you drop some money to my friend at the pub today, please, and grab me a newspaper and a bottle of whiskey if you don't mind? He threw two envelopes of cash onto the corridor floor between us, and I nodded, told him I'd be back soon, and set off. As I exited the main doors, I, I turned to look back at the garden and considered searching for the grate again. Then and there, but it decided I would wait. It was torturous. Instead, I thought of Essie as I made my way through the park, taking in the breeze and the bird song. The pickled gnome, Mr. Prentice's drinking spot, looked sad and empty, with a sign on the window stating closed due to the virus. I dropped the envelope labeled Carmilla through the letterbox in the red door and began to walk away, noticing through the window a lone woman, sat at the bar in a dressing gown, nursing a cup of tea. As I carry on toward the stop, I heard a voice behind me. Hey! I turned to see the woman standing at the door of the pub, waving her arms. A large, fluffy cat wrapped itself up against her feet. I turned and waved back. Please tell him thanks. I really appreciate it. Drinks on me when this is over. You should come too. I'll tell him, she shouted, beaming back at me. I'll tell him, stay safe, I shouted back as she ushered the cat back in and closed the door again. Maybe I would have a drink with Mr. Prentice when all this was over. I imagined him with a shot of whiskey telling stories of the block and smiled. It was a nice thought. I ventured further than the usual shop to one I knew would sell specialized kitten food. I grabbed the whiskey, paper, and a ready meal, though he never asked. Mr. Prentice never turned down food, and I hated to think of him hungry. When I reached the block again, I struggled to pass the garden a second time, but made my way up the stairs towards the flat, passing the man on floor five. Hi, Jeremiah. I waved at him. No response. Better take that one off the list. I passed the woman from the gnome's message... I passed the woman from the gnome's message and the items onto Mr. Prentice and rushed home to feed the kittens. As I placed three tiny bowls I'd purchased down, I decided I should name them. I couldn't keep calling them kittens. They became Wrinkles, Tetley, and Mr. Meow, and they were about the only reason I could think of to smile. You know, excellent, excellent names. Cat. I, I, this ticks me closer to forgiveness. Just wrinkles. Mr. Meow is such a good name. As they happily lapped up their food, I could hear Jamie growling in the background, scratching at the door. He must have smelled the kitten meat. I waited until they'd finished every last bite and washed up the bowls immediately to reduce the risk of him trying to pound his way out of the cupboard. Then I left the flat to finally search for the basement. I tried the bottom of the stairs, searched the entire lower floor for a new stairwell or door, but there was nothing. I tried the garden too, the same spot from the night before in the bushes was just plain concrete. No grate to be seen and no vine growing upwards to match the monster in my kitchen. There was no grate the entire perimeter of the building. My heart sunk with a difficult realization. There was only one place that I had not looked. Standing in front of the lift was daunting. I imagined Essie and how it was the last thing she had looked at. I wondered if I would ever know her motives. 
I imagine Jamie before any of this walking obliviously in on his way to another shift at work, smiling stupidly at the novelty of us having our own home. My body shook and my legs became weak, but I managed to force them forward and step inside. Staring at the buttons inside the lift took me back to standing with Derek and how safe I had felt compared to now. Having him around felt like having my own private guardian angel, guiding me every step of the way. His absence left a painful void. It made the tiny metal box feel enormous. I once again searched for button 9 but couldn't find it. Ex despite nothing looking out of place, it was oddly comforting. Expected. Unlike the last few days had been. The lowest floor that I could find was G, the one I was currently standing on, but I knew the lift was able to play tricks. I could never be truly sure. Not without Derek. Derek! Ugh, Derek. I stared at it for what must have been at least five minutes, looking as hard as I could, just like Essie had advised, but it turned up nothing. I was grateful to get out of the lift, but frustrated it hadn't made anything clearer. I stared at it for a while, its rickety construction and dilapidated feel made my heart pound. I couldn't look at it without imagining blood and bones lining the floor. Fuck you, Essie. I cursed underneath my breath as I walked up the stairs towards my flat, defeated. Why did you have to go? Her cryptic intuition had done nothing but raise questions, and she wasn't there to answer any of them. My life was starting to feel like some sort of cruel joke. The stairwell, devoid of any average human life, was eerie and just added to my sense of solitude. I'd conquered a huge trauma to even stand inside that lift, yet all my searching and efforts had taught me was that the man on the floor five wasn't called Eric or Mikey. Or Jeremiah. Or Jeremiah. Or Clive. I reached the flat and paced around it for a while, being careful not to step on wrinkles, the largest of my three adoptees, who seemed to really enjoy playing around my feet. Mr. Prentice was right. Just because I hadn't been somewhere and couldn't see it didn't mean that it didn't exist. I'd taken the building for granted and gotten too comfortable. Derek had once described the place as a living organism, and now I truly felt that it was, daunt it was taunting me and mocking my ill-placed confidence. I had to admit to myself that it really was, in all honesty, excuse me, sorry, this is weirdly worded. I had to admit to myself that really, in all honesty, I knew nothing about it. Jamie's growls had become a background sympathy, sympathy, Jesus Christ, I can't pronounce words today. <laughs> That's okay. Jamie's growls had become like a background symphony to my life. I'm ashamed to say I was able to almost entirely block them out. I could not ignore the vine, though. It had wrapped itself around the table leg and stretched most of the kitchen floor, growing towards the balcony and desperately stretching for the light. I wasn't sure what to do with it. If I returned it to the garden, I might never see the grate again. The vine was the only proof to myself I had that it had ever been there in the first place. I tried to trim part off, to take it to the garden to compare with the other plants there, knowing that it would be an entirely futile endeavor, but as I clamped down with the, the scissors, they snapped in my hand. The vine was rock solid. Oh. It was much tougher than it had been when I'd pulled my foot free. Perhaps the sunlight had done something to it. I tried my best to bunch it up into one corner, but soon gave up, terrified that it might suffocate me in my sleep. Tetley was asleep on the sofa while the other two played gently with each other. I sat down and tickled them a little, feeling my fingers start to go numb from the heat. I tried to think of any other solutions to my problems than continually searching a concrete wall. I knew it wasn't going to turn up the basement, or tell me why Essie walked into the lift, or help me kill or cure Jamie. Unfortunately, I'm from a generation that's solution to every issue is Google, so that's all I could come up with, so I loaded up my laptop. 
I tried to search for original plans of the block to see if there was some kind of floor plan or architect drawings that could confirm the presence of the basement, but it turned out that the place was too old for those to be online. The block was built in 1951, at the very start of the new high-rise trend. There was limited information on the place other than a few archived articles from around the time that it was built and open. I curse the libraries having to be shut in this pandemic. According to the articles, it was a turbulent project from start to finish and was overseen by an architect and property development mogul who designed and paid for the building himself. There were reports that he was notoriously difficult to work with and that three construction firms pulled out of the project. The next headline I came across intrigued. Cursed project finally completed. Owner found hanged in unoccupied high-rise flats. There was little information on the suicide other than that it had happened. If the building had been how it is today, I can imagine that being alone in the place with no information or even confirmation that what you were seeing was real would drive anyone mad. None of the articles even had the name of the architect, leaving me in a dead end. I took a few searches in a more obscure archived city history blog than I knew existed before I found anything else that piqued my interest. Eh, to tragic high-rise architect's fortune suspected of killing his own son! <laughs> oh, shit! It gets better. The article, the article was too blurred to read. It was a poorly taken photograph of a newspaper from the late 50s. What kind of archivist is this? <laughs> I used to work in an archive. That's a whole load of shit. Fire them. Experience. This took away my chance yet again to find the name for the architect or even the son. I thought about the bad luck the family had suffered. To be able to design and build something like that in those days meant you must have had incredible wealth. But no amount of money could save them from tragedy, especially not somewhere like here. Based communist building kills landlord. <laughs> I tried to adapt my search, instead entering a rabbit hole of murders in the late 50s. As I scanned the page, I did. I damned human nature. There was no... There were so many acts of evil detailed in the blogs. I even learned about Ruth Ellis, the last woman to be executed in the UK in 1955. Ha 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 ha. Laughs in US. Yeah. Laughs in United States bullshit. Laughs in United States death penalty. <laughs> God damn it. Eventually, I found an entry that matched up. His name was Albert Miles, and he was the eldest of two brothers. When his revered architect father died, he took over management of the tower block that him and his brother had become the very first occupants of. Two rats, two brothers, coincidence? I think not. Huh. He was hugely successful and pegged to become one of the biggest names in property development in the UK. The once empty block was mostly full by the time the killing happened. Police were called by a resident living directly below Albert Miles who complained that blood was dripping onto their balcony from above. Stain on the ceiling uh, connection? Maybe. I think I'm going to work. I think I'm trying too hard. When the police arrived, Albert was nowhere to be found, but the body of his 19-year-old son was starting to decompose in the sun on his balcony. He had been stabbed multiple times. Albert was never found or convicted, and the case remained unsolved. However, most were in agreement that he did it. A bloodied kitchen knife belonging to Albert dropped just inside the doors to the balcony all but confirmed it. Uh, I can't help but think of the window washer as well, but... Oh, shit. No, yeah. I don't I don't think you're stretching at all. I think... Uh, I think when... So when you think of ghosts, you have to think of what... What happened, or even hauntings, like with the blood. Mm-hmm. 
what terrible thing fucking happened here that perpetuated this circumstance? Right. I think the window washer is just a window washer. I just think it's it's the house manifesting a job out mm-hmm. of an otherworldly entity. I don't I don't think it has anything to do with this. But he do be eating. The blood stain could very well just be the lingering effects of some you know pol- poltergeist activity from a previous murder. Right. Okay, where were we at? Uh, it was interesting, I think. Yep, it was interesting, but I wasn't sure it was helpful. I started to worry that my research had gone in completely the wrong direction. I wasn't sure about Albert Miles or the death of his son could help me. But I was about ready to shut my laptop down and give up. Then I felt something slither across my shoulder from behind. That is never good. Nope. The vine had grown exponentially, weaving a root from the kitchen to the sofa. I started to panic as it touched my skin, but it didn't wrap itself around me or try to cause any harm. Just gently glided across my shoulder and to the computer. It stroked the name of the blog on the header of the page a few times before falling onto the ground. Only a slight overhang left on the sofa. What the fuck? Huh. What the fuck? Okay, sentient plant time? I'm so Sen- Yeah, it, it noticed something. I'm a plant bitch. This is great. It didn't want me to stop. There was no more information on Google, so I sent a direct email to the blog owner asking for anything on the Albert Miles killing that they had or any details of anyone they could direct me to. I claimed it was for a university project. I just had an idea. What? Tell me. Because these people were related to the architect of the building, what if they became the building? Right, exactly. That's what I was thinking. The guy the guy who built the building killed himself in it, allegedly, right? So what if him so, and his family are the building? Right. They're running their building. Aspects like from, of the building from... As the building. Yeah. I think Derek might be the plant. It's, like, too helpful. Maybe. maybe. I feel it, but I I still think it could just be one of the kids of the building people. Yeah, maybe. I stopped and watched TV for a while. The kittens all cuddled on my lap. I was grateful for my blanket, creating just enough barrier to stop me from melting. Raspy, wheezing snores came from the bedroom. I decided to spend another night on the sofa. It felt much safer. I started to drift off a little and went to shut the laptop, but a loud ping from my email box woke me up. Chills ran up my spine as I opened the message. Should I read this? Oh, someone named Simon. Hey, Kat, thanks for your email. Unfortunately, that particular case is very little known and doesn't have a lot of information out there at all. As you can appreciate, cold cases can be difficult to catalog, but I aim to provide the most comprehensive online case files possible. The only thing I have on this case that isn't on the blog is a photograph of Albert Miles. Fuck, one of them probably looks like Derek. And his unnamed brother outside the high-rise flats. I was new to blogging at the time I wrote that entry and wasn't sure how to insert images. Your message has reminded me to go back and include this one. I've attached here in case any it's of any use to you. I would recommend checking out similar case files that may fit your project. Please don't hesitate to get in touch if you have any queries. Thank you for reading. Simon, Murders in the Capital. I felt the frustration bubbling up. No further information. Another dead end. I opened up the attachment to take a look at the mysterious Albert Miles. 
I was resigned that it would be of no use at all. Then the picture loaded. It's gotta be Derek. Two men, handsome, or could be Ian, but I feel like it has to be Derek. Two men, handsome and maybe in their mid-late thirties, standing outside the main doors of the largely unchanged block. They were similar looking, with strong family resemblance, but very different demeanors. One was dressed in a sharp-looking suit and stood with controlled posture. He had a serious facial expression and pointy features. The other was slumped against the wall, a smile on his face and a familiar, kind-looking eyes. This man wore a casual outfit that you might expect to see on a laborer of that era. Atop his hat was the clue I had been looking for in the form of a flat cap. Standing there, next to Albert Miles, was my lost friend, Derek. Fuck yeah, good well, job, there team. You, well, there you go. Good job, team. Derek, Derek is one of the, uh, one of the kids? Is, the, that, is that what he's, he's saying? I think so. They're the, so they're the two brothers. Albert Miles is the heir to from the architect who killed himself. So they would be generation two. Okay. From the 50s. So, Der so Derek's name is Derek. It's just Derek Miles then, probably. Yeah, it's Derek Miles. Okay. Probably. I doubt, I can't see him using a fucked up name like a different name it just seems pointless He's, he seems too honest for that shit well that's unless great. he doesn't know what's you know well how much can you really know someone you know what I'm does saying? he know he's <laughs> <laughs> is that too much did i lean too much into that no it's perfect keep doing it <laughs> part 12 some families are more dysfunctional than others <laughs> understatement just, i was about to say we just keep <laughs> understating things i'm like i'm reddit it. reddit does have this like penchant for i for doing this or doing the opposite which is let me explain the title of this story in a fucking paragraph True. i prefer the understatement kind of tongue-in-cheek mm -hmm. single sentences right so the some families are more dysfunctional than others just you know it makes my heart happy. Mm-hmm. Any, any other predictions going into this? I just, like, especially you nailed with this it revelation. With, with Derek. Derek, Derek being the gardener, the vine being sentient, like, you nailed that shit. I, I just, I feel like he's gotta be doing something. Like, maybe he can't re-manifest, and so this is his, like, attempt. You know Best what I mean? Ability. Maybe he's trapped somewhere? That's what I'm thinking. Maybe. Maybe they got him in the basement. Maybe Essie's hanging out with him. My brain hurt trying to process the things I'd learned. Same. Really? I'm like, I'm all twisted up, girlfriend. Derek had never mentioned his family or that he by blood had claimed to the building. I mean, it makes sense he cared so much about the building and its block. True. He was always so in tune with it and it made sense, but it was never something I'd considered. I woke mm -hmm. on the sofa that morning confused. I had no idea how to continue. The vine had grown almost the entire perimeter of the flat, carefully weaving between my furniture and appliances, its waxy exterior reflecting sunlight from the windows. It stopped at the bedroom door, not crossing the threshold to Jamie's prison. I bit the bolt and decided to call Terry. I hadn't spoken to her since her and the kids visited a few days prior, and I wanted to see if she remembered Derek ever talking about his brother or if she knew of the basement. Terry had grown up the building. She was bound to have explored more thoroughly than Mr. Prentice. Before I could get on to any of that, I owed her an apology. My interaction sure. with her had been rude, and I had been too distracted to check in on her these past few weeks. I had been a terrible friend. I hit dial on the video chat and waited for a response. When she picked up the, on the phone, she looked even worse than she had the last time I saw her. 
The dark circles were beginning to look deep, inky tattoos permanently stained on her face. Still, she smiled just like she always did. Terry, are you okay? I'm so sorry about the other day. I was just... It's fine, Kat. I understand. Everything with Miss Beckman must have brought back some bad, tough feelings for you. I should have waited a day or two. I'm, I'm sorry. My heart melted as she spoke. I'd never had such a loyal and genuine friend. Don't thank you. Don't be sorry. It, it really helped seeing you guys. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, the kids aren't behaving great at night. I'm not sure if lockdowns got to them or something else. I have to watch everything they do. The other day, I caught Eddie trying to take apart the washing machine with his claws. Fuck. By the time I stopped him, Ellie ripped up the shower curtains trying to climb them. She sounded defeated and at best definitely not okay. I wish I were allowed to help. I miss you. I sighed, longing for the day I could sit and drink tea with her. Are you okay, Kat? You haven't been yourself, she asked. We may not have known each other too long, but she can sense when things aren't right. Terry was an epitome of an empath. This I'd come to realize over the months had only been the reason she kept in touch with Prudence. She's just so goddamn nice. I'm not. I don't know if you know about Essie's predictions, but she made one for me and it sent me to some strange places. I'll tell you more when I figure it out, but for now, I need your help. I still chose to omit Jamie from my confessions, but I was ready to be a bit more open. I wasn't ashamed to admit that I needed help. Terry clearly knew about Essie's gift. She didn't bat an eyelid. Anything. Do you remember Derek ever mentioning a brother, even when you were growing up? Not at all. Derek was always on his own, just appearing when we needed him. I was really young when he first disappeared, though, so I don't remember him well and might not be the one to ask. Terry's face scrunched up in thought as she racked her brain. I'm going to send you something. I minimized the video chat and copied the photo from the email onto my phone and sent it to her by text. Her video paused for a moment and she did the same to check the attachment. He was the first to live here, Terry. His dad built the place. Terry's video clicked back on. Where did you find this? She asked. I explained the blog and why I had been looking. It wasn't a short explanation, so I'll spare you that. We even broke from the seriousness briefly for the kids to come and fawn over the kittens. Eddie loved Mr. Meow while Ellie wanted to kidnap Tetley. Wrinkles just curled up with me. He was my secret favorite anyway. Terry was fascinated by the vine. She wondered if it had a connection to Derek, especially given the photo I found on my search. I can't say that I thought I hadn't crossed my mind either. Uh, that, that the thought hadn't crossed my mind either. I learned more about him every day, but he wouldn't always... He would always first and foremost be the gardener. The vine made sense, but the basement didn't. I was struggling to connect it to the brothers. I don't know about a basement, cat, but if this place is as old as you say, then who knows? I may... Uh, I know I may look haggard, she pulled on her cheeks and giggled. But I'm really not that old. <laughs> I laughed. It was sad that she didn't have any more information, but it was nice to just talk to a friend. For five minutes, life felt normal. I kept my secret in talking to Terry. I'd almost managed to forget about Jamie myself. If I hadn't been, if it hadn't been for the deep bite wound on my finger from the feeding the other day, and the open cuts on my chest from his attack, I might have been successful. I still had no idea what the riddle Essie had given to me meant. I was looking as hard as I could, and it led me down the rabbit hole that just 
kept spewing more questions. What I did know was that with Jamie's seemingly permanent change in demeanor, I was running out of time. The growling hadn't stopped, the look of pure hatred as I dropped in food didn't end, and I was getting frightened. Something had to give. Either Jamie was going to die, or I would. There wasn't another option I could see, and the former may have been entirely achievable. Derek had destroyed Lila, but he never returned after. Prudence claimed that she killed the original wave of creatures by setting light to all of them already burnt on the ninth floor, again something entirely unachievable without Derek's presence. So I had to find him. I said goodbye to Terry, promised that I would update her when and if I could, and left to do my daily errands for Mr. Prentice and the couple next door. As I left for the exit, I spotted a man going into Miss Beckman's flat. I recognized him as the son that I'd always seen visiting, eyes glazed with tears. Terry had said that she would get Molly to inform Essie's family, but I couldn't imagine what Molly might have said happened. I should have gone to him, just as a human being tried to comfort him, but I couldn't bring myself to do it without an explanation to offer. I promised myself that I would visit him when lockdown was over and I knew why his mother and I knew why his mother was gone. I rushed out and completed my errands as quickly as possible, eager to get home. Even having, even having the name Albert Miles might have been helpful if I just kept digging on the internet. After I dropped the bags off at Percy and Sylvia's door, I turned the key in my own, entered, and shut it behind me like I always would. That was where the normality ended and my life was disrupted by an uninvited guest. Oh boy. When I turned to face the flat and caught a glimpse of my fold-out table, there was a tall figure stood right next to it. Albert, like Derek, was a little older than he had been in the photo. There was a family resemblance, but the eyes weren't the same. Albert's weren't warm and kind. They were cold and filled with malice. He wore a suit similar to the one in the picture but it wasn't as sharp it was covered in a thick layer of dust tattered with loose threads hanging everywhere like cloths that had been dug out of a box in the attic he grinned at me smug like something you'd expect from a slimy car salesman it's been a long time since i had to visit any of the residents up here i like what you've done with the place much more modern than when that old bint before you lived here. I was frozen to the spot. I hadn't been alarmed when his brother had appeared inches from me on a bench, but something about Albert was much more sinister. The thought of his son, dead on the balcony, played on repeat in my mind. Why are you here? He laughed, the smug grin extended across his cheeks. I like you. You didn't even pretend not to know who I am. You know, Cat, I've always appreciated a person who cuts the small talk. It's better in business and in life. That trait will hold you in good stead. He was animated as he spoke, gesticating wildly. You didn't answer my question. Don't you find that ironic, considering your sentiment? I answered back, still terrified, but figuring that keeping him talking might somehow help the situation. I don't need to answer your question. You know why I'm here. He continued to grin, raising an eyebrow and adjusting the torn sleeve of his suit. It's not often that I've come across a tenant that causes as much chaos as you do. 
It's usually issues with the rent. It's the goddamn guy that's it's the landlord. Yeah, it's it's the landlord, landlord that Prudence mentioned. <laughs> you don't want to meet him. It's usually issues with the rent, and even something like that hasn't happened for quite some time. But you are something special. He stamped on the part of the vine that was growing near his feet, and I watched as the enormous structure withered and shrunk in size if it, as if it were a notable pain. The beginning of my entire ordeal flooded back to me. I was back in the kitchen discovering Prudence's note for the first time, reading the one rule that I'd never learned anything more about. Number one, the landlord will never bother you. He doesn't visit, call, or communicate in any way. But be sure to make your rent in a timely fashion always. I've only dealt with him once in 35 years, and let's just say I never missed another rent day. Any repairs required you to speak to your agent you rented the place with. Rule number one. So much has happened that I hadn't thought much about that rule, but there must have been a reason she put it first before even mentioning the creatures. Suddenly, the literal monster in my closet seemed soft and fluffy in comparison to the ageless man stood in front of me. I paid my rent. Why are you here? I stood firmly, curling my shaking hands into fists. It was more of a comfort than an aggression. On the surface, I was hoping it would appear I was standing my ground. The rent part was true. It was hard, but I always found a way. I was still training to teach and pulled an extra cash running after school clubs as I trained. Even during the lockdown, I was creating digital learning tools. This place was my home, and I'd followed the first rule to a letter to keep it. Maybe... You aren't as bright as I thought, he rolled his eyes. Let's list reasons a landlord might want to visit, shall we? Damage to property, unauthorized modification of communal spaces, digging around where it's not wanted or needed, nurturing my brother's unnatural experiments. He went hmm. to continue, but I stopped him. What do you mean, unnatural experiments? Albert laughed even harder than before. I could see in his eyes that he considered me entirely dense by this stage. You think those three little abominations you took in came out of nowhere? They were a cry for help, you stupid girl. Like a flare. And all you could do was pick it up and let it burn your fingers. He scoffed, laughing at his own bad joke. My heart sunk, wondering where the kittens were and if he'd hurt them. After all the trouble you'd caused when he helped you last time, I wasn't going to let my idiot brother continue to roam my halls, especially not after what you did once he was gone. I gulped. I knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew that I knew as well. Albert was more than a few steps ahead of me. No fucking kidding. I realized that Prudence destroying his garden had probably never banished Derek at all. He had been kept prisoner by a man in front of me. If Albert Derek could... is the friend. Oh uh, yeah, that that Derek that is does the it. That now does I it. Get it. If Albert could keep someone with Derek's knowledge and abilities trapped, then I didn't stand a chance here. But you need to believe that you can. Come on, girl. You summoned a rat boy. Shall we talk about that thing you keep in your bedroom, cat? I, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I've regretted it since. I stuttered. I felt a tear run down my cheek as I anticipated imminent death. I know that. 
You wouldn't have even known how if my brother had never told that last woman. And he pretends to be so pious. The smile on his face had disappeared. Even the thought of Derek left him with a scowl. He just tried to help the residents here, please. I made a mistake. I protested, anticipating that I was about to die or even worse. Albert didn't speak. He just huffed in frustration and turned to walk towards the bedroom. I followed him, trying not to stay too close. The floor was trailed with blood, and as he entered the room, I noticed the wardrobe door was practically shattered. No. You couldn't even contain your mistake properly. He gestured to Jamie, who was in the corner, hunched over the blood-smothered body of a kitten that he was crunching on the bones of. Tiny bits of muscle and skin and pools of blood littered the floor. His eyes were beady and black. Any semblance of Jamie I'd once seen in them was gone. I noticed Tetley and Wrinkles shivering together in the opposite corner, trying to hide from the monster. The brief relief I felt that they hadn't all met the same fate was interrupted when Jamie started to growl at Albert, baring his crimson-splashed teeth as menacingly as he could. I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I knew the kittens were in danger, but I'm happy to see that some of them are still alive. I, I feel bad for Mr. Meows, but... <laughs> it, it, it hurts my but, feelings. But two out of three surviving i'm yeah i expected her to come home and find them all dead honestly i didn't say it earlier because you were reading but like it was a like when she left her apartment last i was like this isn't good i yeah another questionable decision by (laughs) cat although that one i guess that one's not as like honestly i could see myself making that mistake i don't know her if her door she was also mo- wasn't. if her door was bending as much as she thought it was, then yeah. she should have known that her situation wasn't gonna be like mm-hmm. a livable one forever. You know, like why right. not just go give why not just go give the cats to Terry, right? Or like you know let the kittens like at least wander the halls or something. You know, with the because like I mean I'm trying to think everyone I don't think that everyone takes care of them and the rat people don't usually go after them. You know? Yeah, and I mean, I I don't think cats can really get in the elevator unless someone lets them in. You know what I mean? Like, they, what are they going to do? Jump up, press the button? I'd assume their open? intuition would keep them away from it in general. Right. I watched in I, horror as Albert just stood there, staring at the increasingly angry beast. The mm-hmm. creature I had been hiding for all those months lunged at him aggressively, claws outstretched. Albert wasn't phased. He barely even moved a muscle, just reached out a tattered sleeve and waited for Jamie to make contact with his hand. The second Jamie touched Albert, he let out the most almighty and human scream you can imagine. I felt like my eardrums were about to burst and I instinctively put my hands over them. Albert put Mm -hmm. his hand back down by his side as Jamie fell in a heap to the floor. He wasn't moving. Not like when I stabbed him with the poker. He was just still. He was dead still. The heap of fur he had become started to morph on the floor. (gasps) His jaws pulled inwards as if dislocating, and his limbs began to stretch and shed their fur. After a while, Jamie was laid there on the floor. Not the rat Jamie, the real one. The one I'd spent years with and searched for a home with. The one who knew me before all this shit ever happened. Oh, and he was dead too. 
<laughs> For real this time. Oh, <laughs> Fucking asshole. If this guy had the power to turn rat people into regular people, <laughs> what a fucking dickhead. Oh, no, he's going to go on to explain. Okay. Uh, it took everything I had not to throw myself on the floor with him. I stopped myself multiple times, but Albert's eyes bore into my soul and rendered me unable to move a muscle. I tried to fight back tears, but I couldn't. Don't bother to cry. He died a long time ago. Albert kicked Jamie's corpse and bent down into a squat to get closer to him, not taking his eyes off of me. I didn't let him go out, if that's what you were thinking. No, cat. You did when you locked an angry animal in a cage. Eventually, they all get free. I whimpered a little as he inspected the remains of my boyfriend, intensely taking in his hair and eyes. My brother had this preconceived notion that humans can live in harmony with the evil that inhabits this building. He's wrong, cat. We can't. Eventually, it drives us all mad. Your mistake made such an unusual racket, I had to come and see what was going on. Did you ever imagine keeping him like that before you lived here? Of course not. I tried to interject, but he wouldn't let me. He was in full-blown monologue. This place fucks us up, cat. You can't make it any better, regardless of how many shrubs you plant outside. He stroked Jamie's cold, dead face gently, barely touching it with his fingertips. The body evaporated beneath him, becoming nothing more than a pile of dust on my carpet. I hadn't even got to touch him one last time. Albert stood back up, salesman grin plastered back on his face, brushed his sleeves. I've cleaned up your mistake. Aren't you going to say thank you? I held back the bile that was forming in my throat, took a deep breath, and summoned every ounce of strength that I could just to speak. He was right, this place had fucked me up, but losing your partner like that would do the same to anyone. I thought of the little boy in the mirror, Mr. Prentice, even Ellie and Eddie. This wasn't for me. You're wrong about this place. Not everything in here is evil. I made a mistake, but it's you that's evil. You killed your own son. What I did came from love. I blurted trying to organize my thoughts. You don't know a damn thing about my son, and you won't. This is your only warning, cat. Stop digging into my family. Consider my brother dead and keep quiet. He spoke sternly. I didn't dare to try talk back again. Despite knowing I'd hit a nerve, everything about him set me on edge. He took another vicious stamp on part of the vine as he exited the bedroom. It shriveled entirely underneath his dusty dress shoe, back to the size that it had been when I pulled my foot free, except it wasn't green anymore. It was brown and rotten. He turned to me once more before he reached the front door of the flat to leave and spoke. If you dare continue your pointless little mission to try and find Derek, you will meet the same fate as that blind old bat from down the hall. People oh. here will always do as I tell them. Let her be an example of why not to meddle in my family business. Feel lucky that I didn't eviscerate you on the spot. Or worse. 
He winked at me, knowing that he had complete control of the situation and left with a simple, Bye for now, cat. As the door slammed, the two remaining kittens bounded to my feet, shaking with fear. I scooped them up despite the burning and held them close. I wasn't going to let anything happen to them. The flat had an emptiness I wasn't used to, even when it had just been me with no kittens. Before I repeated the ritual to bring Jamie back as a creature, there was a comforting knowledge that he existed somewhere. There was hope. The pile of dust on my bedroom floor and the shattered remains of my wardrobe were all I had left now. Then there were Mr. Meow's remains, a glaring reminder of my failure to keep anything alive or safe. I cried for him as I scooped up the parts into the shoebox, ready to bury in the garden the next day. It was all my fault. Jamie, Mr. Mouse, Esther, they were all dead because of me. I considered calling Terry back, you. telling her what happened, but I decided to keep my mouth shut. My stupidity had already cost lives, and I wasn't prepared to risk, to risk her or the kids. They really were family to me. I wasn't about to give up, though. All the heartache I'd caused, the tears of Essie's son, and the months my boyfriend spent trapped in the body of a vile beast, maybe they wouldn't be in vain if I was able to save Derek from his brother. The empty, gaping grief that I felt left me perfectly accepting of the prospect of a suicide mission. I cuddled the kittens and felt the skin of my arms start to melt and sizzle. If they really were a cry for help, I had to listen. I just couldn't let it go. So, oh, so I, Albert told Essie to go into the elevator. He compelled her somehow. Yeah, he like like people do what I tell them is what he said. So like yeah, and he did something to Prudence too back in the day when she didn't pay her rent. So. And he did something to Derek to, to banish him or trap him somewhere. Yeah, clearly. I do wonder, though, because of the... Because of, like, Derek's absence coinciding with Prudence's destruction of the gardens, I do wonder if in order to contain Derek, he needed, like, that extra edge. You know what I mean? 100%. Like, I feel like they're probably equivalent in power. But in order for him to kind of, like, get the upper hand on him, he needed well, that connection coldness, that Derek had to the building. The coldness of the building mm -hmm. kind of rebutted by the beauty of nature and the growth of nature and the animals and the plants that grow around the block right. have always kind of shown why something like huge, cold, daunting, and powerful like the like the, the brother would have more power because and because the garden has pretty much been non-existent and the cats are more of a a, a leftover right. to a bad but, situation. And you know, um, Derek said that like, like the garden being bulldozed and a new tower being built, that wasn't his decision. It sounds like that was Albert again trying to get the upper hand over him. Right. Alright. Part 13. I never liked that damn lift. I never liked that like damn, damn lift. Damn lift. Me neither, girl. <laughs> you know, I have to say that I I am leaning towards forgiving her now because, like, yeah, I just feel so fucking bad for her at this point. <laughs> I, I have one more prediction, and it is related to the lift. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's and again it's just because we don't know enough about the rat creatures but if albert has the ability to like kill someone and turn their body back into human mm -hmm. then he like probably had the ability to not kill them and turn them back into a human so who's to say that like the rat people aren't just his family that didn't listen to him no right and like maybe I mean, he just turned them into rat creatures right and i mean well granted there were like a shitload of them yeah. and then when prudence tried to kill all of them only two were left and they were like stronger and faster and, and smarter maybe, and more evolved and maybe that's why the landlord showed up to talk to right her. okay well maybe I'm, I'm it's curious. just I'm... it's just a guess because like that seemed like a pretty big move like mm -hmm, it did the choice to kill rat jamie is one thing right the extended choice to turn him back into a human right. shows great power although i do wonder if maybe that's just what happens when they are killed they seemed like, like the, separate functions to me but i right but you like could, the one you could be true because we never saw what look what happened to lila right exactly that's what i mean and like i'm i do think of derek's like oh that she was never theirs to begin with kind of thing which makes me think that like the rats and like bringing people back are related but not necessarily like connected right like they're i do think that they're related but i don't necessarily think that like one has to happen yeah you know, like, like the same the other functions for the other yeah Although I do have to say that, like, I find it very, very curious that we have a dead father and a dead son and two rats. Because Albert's dad is dead. And, and the fact himself. that Derek, like, doesn't want to see them harmed necessarily. He, like, right. communicates with them without talking. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Like, there's there's a lot to yeah. be said there. Something's up here. Let's find out what else is in the lift. Since we're clearly not done with that yet. I never liked that damn lift. The shoebox I'd placed Mr. Meow in sat atop my fold-out table. As I lit my morning cigarette and sipped a cup of tea, I wondered if it was disrespectful to smoke next to a dead body. I decided that disrespect was in the eye of the beholder. I often thought of Essie as I smoked, remembering how we bonded over a few spare cigs. That hadn't made me feel disrespectful. I was smoking more than usual with the stress I was under, too. I found it was a welcome few minutes break from my life. I wanted to sit on the balcony that morning to try and get some light and escape from the claustrophobic feel of the flat. I knew that with my determination to find Derek, it might be the last I saw the sun, but the window cleaner was out there just howling and scratching at the door. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the flat felt so empty without Jamie, Mr. Meow, or even the vine that for a moment I almost considered letting him in. <laughs> He's not even, like, trying now. He's just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> The longer I lived in the building, the less I thought of the window cleaner as a sinister entity. He was more pitiful than anything, and let's get realistic, I'd been accustomed just to being surrounded by monsters. Since the lockdown, he'd stopped bothering with the niceties and the chit-chat. Instead, he just whined and scratched like a scared animal. It was wrinkles intently rubbing themselves against my thankfully covered legs that stopped me from just giving up and opening the sliding door. 
I'd spent hours in the flat that day dwelling on everything, coming up with wild plans and theories in my mind. I texted Pr Terry and asked her to check on Mr. Prentice for me. She asked what was going on and I said that I would tell her when I could. It was weak, but she accepted my explanation or lack of, as always, with no questions asked. I must have paced the length of the flat a hundred times. None of the ideas that I had to help Derek seemed to develop into anything solid. It was frustrating, like trying to solve an impossible riddle. I analyzed every part of my interaction with Albert, trying to find hidden meanings amongst the words in my head. I wondered if he could communicate with the creatures just like Derek had when he struck the deal over the lift. Maybe that's why he had come to my flat when Jamie finally escaped. Maybe he'd been the reason for Jamie's aggression towards the end. It would make sense if they were communicating all along. I knew that I wasn't going to find Derek without also finding Albert, so I decided that working to find the older of the brothers would be easier. Translating all my loose threads of thoughts into a plan didn't come easy. I tried to stop myself multiple times, worrying that I was going down the wrong route, but when it finally hit me, I knew that I had nothing better. Eventually, I settled on my next steps. I started after I had fed the kittens and washed up the bowls, after they'd fallen asleep on the sofa, after I'd had time to dwell in stress, after it got dark outside and no human residents were left in the dimly lit corridors. I had little faith in my plan and didn't want to risk anyone getting hurt as a byproduct. I made my way down the stairs, carrying the shoebox coffin in my arms and a small bag of the dust that Jamie had left behind in my pocket, shovel wedged deep between the gap in my arm and torso. Good evening, Marcus. I greeted the man on floor five with less enthusiasm than usual. He responded the same way that he always did. Not at all. <laughs> the boy in the mirror blew more raspberries, making moose horn antlers with his hands and giggling. I waved back and tried to understand how Albert could consider every single special resident evil. These beings had become my family over time. The outside of the building was an empty again. A city that usually never slept was taking the nap of a lifetime. I felt peaceful in the garden with the breeze blowing my hair around. The park opposite was eerily mystical under the stars. It was warmer than it had been a few nights before when I'd first discovered the kittens in the grate. Even though it had only been a short time, that night felt a lifetime away. I fought the urge to sob as I dug the tiny grave amongst the shrubs I'd found them in, and for the first time since Essie's death, I was successful. My mind was so focused on my goals that I managed to pull myself together and not become a wreck. I wasn't sure I had any tears left. I made full speeches instead, first to Mr. Meow and then to Jamie, who I sprinkled on top the buried shoebox, vowing that I would do something good in all this before covering them back up with dirt. I stood and stared at the patch of soil for a while. At one point, I could have sworn I caught a glimpse of the metal grate, but it was gone in a blink, replaced by flat, gray concrete. Either Albert was teasing me or I was going completely mad. I felt my heart start to pound in my chest as I re-entered the building. What I was preparing to do was dangerous and potentially deadly, but it was better than never knowing if I could have done more. I didn't want to spend a lifetime imagining Derek trapped and alone. Every time my life in crisis is in crisis in this place, I seem to find myself outside that lift, and that night was no different. Even if everything in me was telling me to flee up the stairs and drop it, there I was, staring at the huge metal doors. It had killed friends, taken me to places no one could see, and housed monsters that infected my nightmares. As my own heart continued to pound, I imagined that lift could be considered the building's heart, carrying human life to every floor like it were the blood of the tower. My eyes flitted from the intimidating metal doors to the display on my phone. I was a few minutes early, and those few minutes felt like a thousand years. I edged as close as I could to the button to call the lift, and as soon as the numbers changed, I knew it was time to start. 1.11 a.m. 
I jabbed the button violently, took a deep breath, and reached into my pocket. It was hard to fight back the bile as I pulled out Mr. Meow's severed foot that I'd carefully plucked from the shoebox earlier, but I managed and I threw it. It landed about three meters or so from the lift's entrance. I retreated and stood to the edge of the stairs, just out of sight, my entire body shaking as I waited for the rattling noise of the opening doors. The first part of my plan worked as well as I could have hoped, and soon, for the first time, I was faced with my boyfriend's killers. I had only seen Jamie and Prudence's granddaughter Lila's iterations of the monsters in person. The creatures that they were spawned from had remained largely, remained largely a mystery to me, and I had never considered they could be different from what I'd already experienced. They were larger, much larger, than Jamie or Lila had been. I remembered what Derek said about the survivors strengthening each one that, with each one that dies. They were probably the same height as a fully grown adult male, with fur-covered, divined, muscular limbs. They maintained the posture of a rat, and had long, razor-sharp teeth protruding from their elongated jaws. Their eyes were different than Jamie's, too. Instead of being a beady black, they had a bright, daffodil yellow sheen. Hmm. I thought that it was living in my wardrobe that had been frightening, but he was nothing compared to them. The two huge rodent humanoid creatures skulked out of the lift. They were on their hind legs, but their backs were hunched over in a way that would have allowed them to break into a four-legged sprint at any moment. They started to edge towards the kitchen, the kitten foot, sniffing at it intensely. Knowing I had moments before they smelled me too, I left my corner by the stairs and started sprinting towards the open metal doors. I hoped that by releasing the creatures during their frenzy, it would be enough to summon Albert. He didn't seem to appreciate a scene. If I could just hide in that awful metal box for long enough, he would have to come. And if they weren't in there with me, then I would be safe. My stress and sleep deprivation had gotten to me. I knew my plan was severely flawed and I hadn't properly considered the risks. When I finally made it inside the doors, I was confronted with the worst consequences than I could have imagined. Unsurprisingly, they spotted me. As I hammered on the button that should close the doors to lock me in, I could see them snarling, long strings of saliva stretching from their mouths to splatter on the floor as they prepared to run towards me. I was ready to die. I was almost certain that it was going to happen in that moment. That was until I spotted the tiny figure weaving through the creature's legs. It was fast. I could barely make it out. It was growling and making noises that seemed to genuinely frighten them. Long claws slashed at the rat creature closer to reaching to me, and it yowled in pain as it fell to the floor. Horns first, the figure managed to enter the lift just before the doors began to seal themselves. It hissed at the uninjured creature, keeping him backed away just long enough for us to hear the thud of the metal doors closing. Most would be terrified of anything that could frighten off their worst nightmares in an instant, and let alone being locked in a 4 by 4 space with them, but not me. When the figure became clear, I was both proud and devastated. <laughs> I fucking love it. Ellie, what are you doing in here? Your mom is going to kill us both. <laughs> oh. Terry's young daughter sat herself down cross-legged in the corners of the tiny room as I slid down one of the walls to the floor myself, hugging my knees. I broke into hysterical tears. I couldn't believe I'd put Ellie at risk. I knew about the twins' late-night escapades. She shuffled over next to me. Her horns pinched a little as she nestled my shoulder, but I didn't care. Don't cry, cat. Did you see how scared of me those things were? Oh, God. These demon children are stressing they're me gonna out. End, anything, they're going to end me. <laughs> if anything bad happens to them, I am going to throw up. I'm going to be throwing up and crying on the podcast, and you're not going to be able to air it because it's going to be too horrible for anyone to listen to. 
She was delighted. Her smile lit up, and if you could have seen anything in the deep black voids that replaced her eyes, you'd have seen childlike excitement. The creature outside scraped and hammered at the door, and I could still hear the pained screams of the one she'd impaled. For a small child, she had no idea of the impact she just made. It was hard to comprehend how a little girl could cause so much damage. You shouldn't be out. Why aren't you at home? Is Eddie out too? Your mom will go looking. What if they get her? I started ranting. Ellie's face dropped immediately. I usually would have felt awful, but I couldn't shake the thought of her whole family being killed because of me, of the other people that might be in mortal danger. How could I be so fucking stupid? Eddie's at home playing with his truck, and Mom fell asleep. I just wanted to come and explore, and I was playing on the stairs when I saw you. I've missed you, Cat. Are they going to eat Mom? Her little voice cracked and she started to sob. I wanted to be reassuring and tell her that they wouldn't, but I didn't want to lie. I started to understand the gravity of what I'd just released. I was still confident that my original plan would bring Albert out of the basement. However, I wasn't so confident that Albert would just let Ellie go. He might see her as evil, like he saw everything else here. I just had to do everything I could to protect her. Esther Beckman's ridiculous prophecy played in my mind once again, and I silently cursed her. How many more friends are going to be in danger, Esther? Why would you be so fucking vague? I tried to calculate a comforting yet honest response for Ellie and failed. Before I had a chance to speak, the metal prison we were in started to whir and crunch, shaking and making awful mechanical noises. I tried desperately to press the button for Terry's floor in the hope that I could drop Ellie off unharmed, but it didn't work. Instead, the box started to fall and the lift traveled downwards. It wasn't high-tech enough for a digital display. Instead, the buttons light up as you reach each floor. Not a single button lift lit as we fell faster than any other lift ever should for what must have been at least five minutes. Ellie was screaming. I couldn't do much but hold her hand, being careful to interlock my fingers in a way that wouldn't result in a claw through my own. I watched the button panel the entire time, trying to occasionally press on any number I could. Every attempt was futile. The lift ground to a halt and we were thrown in the air as it stopped with a huge clap. Just underneath the numbered buttons, it appeared a sh- uh, had appeared a shrewdly drawn negative one scratched into the metal. I knew it hadn't been there before and could only signify one thing. I'd done it. I made it to the basement. As I looked at Ellie, I couldn't help but wonder at what cost. Was any of this worth the danger I'd accidentally put her in? I hadn't accounted for an extra person or the lift falling. My plan ended when I threw my f- the foot and ran. In my optimistic mind, Albert would have killed the creatures outside to avoid a scene and have to talk to me again without being able to kill me like Essie. I knew, squeezing Ellie's hand, I had misjudged the situation entirely. Did we ever see what Albert's eyes looked like? I, I think he just described them as normal. Like, like okay. they, they were normal, but what he said was, co- or what she said was like cold and mean instead of like kind and gentle, and like gentle Derek. Like so Derek's. I'm, I'm under I'm the tr- assumption that he's, he is very much human. Like I'm trying to like make up reasons that maybe he would let Ellie live, but I feel like that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where we're going right now. Me neither. I feel like if Albert had control over this, like he implies he does, he mm. would have stopped. Uh, he would have stopped some of this already. So right. I, I, I don't. That's what I'm. I think he's posturing a bit. Exactly, and I, I honestly don't think that, like, he might be able to control Cat. I don't think he can control Ellie. I, I Given think that every I think evil he controls, thing in the building is terrified of Ellie. I think he could control and manipulate anything in the building 
I just think there's probably a stipulation. Mm -hmm. I knew, squeezing Ellie's hand, that I had misjudged the situation entirely. Where are we? I don't know for sure. I think this is the basement. But the block doesn't have a basement. I know. The doors opened slowly to reveal a huge, darkened flat. It was luxury, like an underground penthouse, but without a single window in sight, and it was largely empty, not a soul inside. I stood up from the floor of the lift, Ellie's hand still firmly gripped in mine, and tried to take in the surroundings. The lift had stopped directly in what seemed to be a living room. There was no hallway or corridor leading to a set of flats like when the lift usually stopped. In the room was a black velvet sofa, a few side tables, and an almost useless lamp providing a dim glow in the corner. It lit up a few tingling cobwebs and made it just about possible to see a huge trailing pot plant set on a table that matched perfectly with the vine that had wrapped itself around the, my foot and then my home. Hmm. The lack of a nearby grate did not bode well. Ellie started to cry. I couldn't see actual tears with the voids for eyes, but I could hear her soft whimpers. I searched my mind again for some comforting thoughts, but I could not find a single one. If I was right and Derek was trapped here, we were fucked. <laughs> Any attempts to jab the buttons were pointless. It was as if the lift had run out of battery. We couldn't even close the doors. I took a step into the room and Ellie followed. Before I could say the word, we hear the metal doors clap together, and by the time we turned around, the lift had been replaced by a blank wall. Where the fuck are you? I screamed, desperately hoping that Albert's smug face would just appear from the shadows. It didn't. All my plea did was terrify Ellie, who continued to grip on my hand. It's awful to say, but I was partially grateful that she was here, if only so that I didn't have to be alone. Who are you looking for? Someone that can help us get home. I need you to stay close to me all the time. Can you do that for me, please? I hoped with my whole being that I could keep her safe. Ellie simply nodded in response, her horns bobbing in the dim glow. I took a few steps in the direction of the plant, reaching out to touch it to see if it was limp or alive like the vision in my, plant, in my flat had been. I was disappointed that it was the former. As I ventured further into the room, I noticed that the opposite wall wasn't nearly as blank as the one that had replaced the lift. Instead, indented in the wall was another set of metal doors, identical to the ones that had closed and vanished behind us. Next to the left side of the doors was a button with the words call lift and carved into the metal above it. It gave me a great feeling of unease. Despite my unease, I saw no other exit to the room, and before I could even consider the options, my tiny companion had pressed the button. Even demon kids love buttons. As the doors opened, relief washed over me to see that it was empty and not full of even more creatures. When we took a step inside, I found myself once again staring at the button panel. This time I wasn't searching for floor nine. In fact, I yearned for the days when that was my biggest problem. The panel was much like the one in the lift we'd gotten here in, except alarmingly, every number came with a minus symbol before it, and there was no sign of a G for the ground floor. And that's it. So, negative <sighs> levels. Do you think it's like a reverse of the building, like some kind of like mirror world. Maybe, or maybe it's just like I don't. I I guess we don't know enough. Yeah. I guess we don't know enough about where it can possibly go. But, um, 
yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's a great fucking place to stop. Because yeah, no we're kidding. we're literally entering the last section of this story, to be a little bit longer than our other episodes, but f- mm-hmm. finales usually are, um, going into a completely new world, a cl- completely new right. territory, totally um, new territory, and um, it's threatening and it's Very. and it's empty mm-hmm. and it's dark, and extremely. We have a little girl with us who's our friend's daughter, and I feel mm-hmm. vulnerable. Very. But, I mean, on the other hand, hilariously, Shh. I think that because Ellie is there, Kat, that it, it's the only that reason Kat that Kat has a chance. That Kat die immediately. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's literally the only way that Kat is going to survive this, if she does. Which I'm not... I think I'm, it's I'm, hilarious I mean, that Ellie just continues to, like open the door for the burnt people, just walk around the halls at night, you know, try to chase the cats around. Like <laughs> it's like, it's just so that funny. Inquisitive they youth. really, they really are just kids. And it's like, I, it's funny because in media a lot and like in books, hilariously, uh, like slash stories, there are often complaints about the way that authors write children and they are valid complaints because people tend to either make kids too smart or too stupid. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, there's very little like an in between in between where either they're just like way too smart and good. And they act as like kind of a, both times they usually act as plot devices, which is fine. Like a kid can be a very decent plot device. In our situation, they they have, but they have oh, without a but, doubt. But they have also been realistically portrayed as just single single minded children. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that like children are small adults, but they are learning how to be adults. Kids don't like people tend to get angry like with hilariously I'm like leaning child free for my own life, but I Same. fucking love kids. But kids are and kids, yeah. I fucking love kids. And it's funny because people genuinely generally think that I don't like kids. That's not true. I love kids a lot. But part of the reason I love kids so much and part of the reason why it hurts a little bit when people like tend to treat them like they're, uh, you know, doing things maliciously, like your kid didn't fucking shove the cat in the oven because they wanted the cat to burn. They have no idea that that is a bad thing to do. Right. They don't know. They have no frame of reference. They don't understand that their actions have consequences because they're literally new. They just started out on this plane of existence. Like they don't get it. And Ellie and Eddie are such good examples of like these kids just don't fucking know. And especially because they are demon kids and because a lot of these things in the building seem to be afraid of them that they aren't. It's not only do they not understand consequences, they also don't receive consequences the way that other people do, which reinforces their behavior. Right. Because they think tonight. they're invincible. They exactly, feel invincible. Kids do. They feel they do. powerful. There's like yeah. that whole fucking uh, game with like the baby where one of you plays as the baby and the other plays as the dad and the baby's trying to kill itself as fast as possible and yeah. the dad's trying desperately to stop the kid from killing itself. Yeah. Like that's they This don't is get more it. like the and reverse it, version where the the grandma's trying to chase around the baby and the baby has demon powers. Mm-hmm, exactly. Which is <laughs> like which is just teaching the baby that like they absolutely can you know, vibe. they absolutely can just vibe around outside and, like, you know, fuck with the monsters and, like, the monsters are scared, so they're just bigger and more powerful and everything's fine. So, but at the same time, 
I have to say that, like, I also appreciate that, like, they are being presented as, like, good kids. You know, like, they are just kids. They're not bad kids. They are just kids. They're kids that don't and, sleep, you know? Right, and they're kids that don't sleep because they don't need to, and so they're doing kid things all night long. And they also, like have they live in different circumstances and they also are different from other children so they're able to do these things that kids can't do normally so they keep doing them however when there are consequences for their actions they do correct the behavior like after they after the whole cultist thing happened they never let them in again from what i know yeah. could see in the story like they don't go near the elevator except for this time because ellie saw her friend and said oh fuck those guys i'm gonna help my friend right and came running at her like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, they do, they do respond to discipline somewhat. Although I don't think that Terry strikes me as much of a disciplinarian, which is partially because she is literally so sleep-deprived, it's a miracle that she's not hallucinating. <laughs> so. I still think, like, there's nothing harmonious about anything that's going on. The kids, no, the kids are just as vulnerable in this situation as Kat is. So, Without a doubt. So I am still worried for their livelihood, but I extremely I'm I'm not as worried as I am about Cat. I think I think Cat's gonna make it out of this thing in one piece just because it, it it's an OP writing this thing on no sleep, and that's kind of just like a meta way to to write that off. But right. uh, casualties uh, casualties make uh, make stories have uh, depth. And they make stories have uh, stakes. So yeah, exactly. Uh, so this does it like it like raises the stakes because Ellie's there now. But it also does give Cat like more of a fighting chance, I guess, at surviving. It so, all I'm it a, all comes down to what's in this negative or under realm, you know? Like right. if like I'm now I'm now starting to think that maybe the rat creatures are just watchdogs. Uh, right. a, a, verit Ooh. a veritable Cerebus at the uh -huh. at the, the you know the pit to Hades. So yeah, and that maybe part of Derek's deal with them was also to keep residents away from this. Right. Like, like it was what both if, to stop them. What if from Albert manages this entire building for the living and the dead? That's a really good. That's a very 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 good theory. I think. And maybe the stuff that's in the living is stuff that's kind of leaked into the building from the other side that Albert manages. Right. Like what if, what if we just see the window washer walking around down here? Yeah. Cause it's his, that's where he lives. Maybe, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe a, it's all down there. It's all, it's all open-ended at this point, And I'm very, I'm very interested in um, concluding it, but that is, that is all we're reading today. So I hope people are appreciating the understated apartment fuckery series mm -hmm. uh, as we head into our conclusion because there is a lot going on right now and I think right. I think it is going to get all tied up with a nice little bow but I do think it can also get a little messy heading there so we'll we'll see um the biggest the biggest thing that happened this chapter I think is right. cat cat wasn't more more or less absolved of her sins but they were removed from her, which isn't a huge character beat as much as it is a huge plot beat. So I'm, I'm okay with it, but 
I wanted, I wanted Cat to find a power to kill Jamie. You know, I wanted Cat to have to deal with consequences of that. So, for it to kind of have wiped the slate clean of itself, right? I don't think it did a service to like the plot as much. Um. I don't know. How do you feel about the whole Jamie thing? Right. I I think for Jamie, I the vibe that I'm getting from that is that like my see I sorry, I have some questions too because like when people have seen the rats killing people, like they see like their limbs all over the place. We never found Jamie's body. Right. It was completely gone. And then when she brought him back, like he was clearly in there, but like overtaken by something else like something something when they when you bring people back from the dead who are killed by the rats in the lift something about the way that they died twists them and when you revive them that they are unable to come back without that kind of uh you know mutation happening to them which i suspect is caused by the way that they die um, maybe we but I, yeah but, like, when he killed ja- Rat Jamie, his body was whole and, like, unharmed, basically. So did it, like, when she brought it back, was it, like, really Jamie? Was it the, did she, like, push a piece of his soul into, like, the rat body? That's what I think happened. And then when Albert, like, killed him, it also cleansed that of him. So then she got the body, but then it, like, you know melted into ash because I wonder if it was like never really there to begin with. So that that's fair. Uh, that's fair. It could have been all symbolic. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I'm wondering. Metaphysical. And, like, with, and like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that he was like dead, dead. And then she yanked him back and like, he was kind of alive, but not really in like kind of, you know, cause like I, I think of Frankenstein and, like, the, the story of the monster and everything being brought back to life. And he was made up of all those different body parts, but he was a distinct person. It feels like whatever came back was, like, Jamie, but to the left. Sure. Like, it wasn't really Jamie, but him. off. Ja- fragment of Jamie. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see if we'll see more about that. But I feel like having him removed now removes the plot from having to necessarily go there unless there's something to be said about the remaining two mm-hmm. giant rats. rats. Yeah. Um, giant awful rats with yellow eyes. Side note. Yeah. Very Ew. different looking. Very gross. Lots of questions. So many questions. And plus like I, the idea that you said about it potentially being like a living and like a dead sort of building. I wonder if, you know, if Jamie dies, if anyone who dies in the building is now still residing in the building, but on the other side of it. <laughs> what if so what I if wonder... we get to the fifth floor and like the guy who's sitting on the stairs is just like very talkative? More. Yeah, he's like, hey, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? My name's Jake. It's me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know. What if what if it's the kid what if the kid on the other side of the mirror is like, oh, you're here and can like walk around in this realm, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, maybe I'm there's something curious. to be said about the the Coraline esque upside down aspect of of 
right of where of where we've gone but we'll have exactly. to find we'll have to find out next time is there any is there any closing thoughts that you would like to leave our audience I, any any words of wisdom for this chapter um i sure hope we don't see miss prudence hemmings again now nah, that bitch is prefer- dead i hope so i hope i bet that's <laughs> mr mr prentice took care of that bitch he did that has um, nothing to do with anything else right okay so you know what he's that a, makes a perfect he's a big old he's a big old boy He's a big old boy. And that leads me to my closing statement, which is befriend your local werewolf. Clearly, it's worth doing. Yeah. Babysit those demon kids. They might save you one day. Babysit those demon kids. (laughs) Just do it. Await to the day's end when the moon is Until we stand at the shore.